As, um, as Robert mentioned in, uh, in the announcement time, um, the mission of our month is Cornerstone, and a lot of us know Cornerstone as Cornerstone Pregnancy Center or Pregnancy Resources Center. That's kind of like the old title that's been, uh, that's been in our minds for a long time because our relationship with Cornerstone goes way back since... 20, 25 years ago when Cornerstone was like in a different phase of life even. Um, but Cornerstone Medical Center is here today and I'm going to invite Olivia to come forward and, and she's going to share a little bit with us about what God's been doing and, and, um, and what things look like at, at Cornerstone. Olivia, I've got this seat here just for you. That should keep you above the plants so that people can see your face. And I'm going to just hide over here behind this one so that Bob and Carolyn can't see me. Uh, yes, I believe it's on, right? Hello? Hello? Yes. yes, perfect. There we go. There we go. So, Olivia, you are here today to tell us what? What's on your heart? What does God put on your heart? Oh, that's a great question. <laughs> so, I am from Pregnancy Resources at Cornerstone. Pregnancy Resources at Cornerstone. Yes, that's right. the official title. Yeah. <laughs> I, keep, I keep forgetting. I get it mixed up every time. And that's fine. Yeah, we call it Cornerstone, Pregnancy Resources, so it's all good. So yeah, Pregnancy Resources at Cornerstone. Um, I am the center manager there, so that means I'm in charge of client services and um, our volunteers and things like that. So I'm very much involved in our clients, um, the process of our clients. Um, and our whole heart of the center is um, to empower individuals to embrace life-honoring choices. To and, embrace life-honoring choices, and mm -hmm. that means... And that means um, just anything from um, walking alongside of them in their parenting and prenatal classes or, um, you know, even just that initial shock of, okay, what am I going to do? Where am I going to go? Um, and helping them just embrace that you're not alone. We're here to support you. We're here to help you. Um, we're here to guide you. We're here to um, give you all the information that you need to make an informed decision, um, whatever that looks like and whatever that means. You know, we're here to love you. Um, so that's our heart. That's our passion. And yeah. always pushing toward life. Just always, yes. Life honoring life, choices. Life honoring choices, exactly. Yeah. So, so what kind of folks do you see coming into, uh, I'm just going to say Cornerstone. Mm -hmm. is, is it all young ladies? Is it all young ladies with boyfriends and husbands? Is it older people? I mean, what's it look like? You see everybody. What's it look like? Yeah, so it's a, definitely a mixture. Um, in GAP, I know that there are different demographics of people. So because we're in GAP, um, the demographic is going to look a little different than someone who's like a you know, pregnancy center that's in this city. Um, but our age kind of, um, it's been interesting. We've had mainly mid-20s to like mid-30s okay. um, has been our kind of age group. We have recently been seeing more like young 20s and like late teens, mid-teens, um, but not as much of that age group um, as you usually automatically think of. Mm -hmm. um, and we have, yeah, young moms um, or single women or boyfriends and girlfriends, sometimes husbands and wives. Um, so, yeah, we have a variety of people, but um, it's mainly that mid-20s to mid-30s age range, um, sometimes late, like early 40s. So, yeah. Yeah. So how have you been seeing God kind of bless your ministry lately? Any, any stories for us? Any big, like, huge successes? We just said hallelujah with the kids. Yeah. What can we say hallelujah about for you? Yeah. So um, we recently um, joined a new marketing um, strategy program um, that we've been able to, through that, been able to reach out to more of that abortion-minded um, group of women. So abortion-minded would be people who are very seriously considering abortion as their only choice. Um, and so through that, we've been able to really um, reach more of the the heart that we've always just really wanted to, but haven't really been able to um, for different reasons. Um, and so there is this one story um, that, uh, there's so many stories going through my mind, so like, uh, which one? Good, that's a, that's a good thing, right? To have too many stories to tell? Um, let, let's talk about, yeah, so this summer, this past summer, um, we had a young woman come in, she had brought her daughter with her and she was looking for an abortion. 
and um, she had planned to um, a, an appointment with Planned Parenthood um, later on that week. And um, so we sat there, I sat there with her in the intake and just asked her, how are you doing? How are you feeling? What are some of the emotions that you're experiencing right now? And she just went into, I'm just very overwhelmed with life and finances and this job and I don't have any support system and just, you know, going down just a laundry list of, of you know, everything that could go wrong uh-huh. went wrong. Um, uh-huh. And, you know, just sitting there in the intake with her, um, I just listened and I just said, yeah, that is hard. And I am... everything, everything that you're feeling right now is totally valid. All the emotions that you're feeling, these are overwhelming emotions and this is hard. And um, that's, yeah, that just sitting there with that and just like validating that, yeah, this is like, this is really hard, but also we're here. I'm so glad that you came and we want to support you in any way we can. And here are some of our services, you know, you're here for a free pregnancy test, a free ultrasound. but we can also help you with other resources in our community that can hook you up with um, housing and um, you know a job um, and you know training like that. We can help you with uh, resources like parenting classes and prenatal classes and um, come alongside you and you can earn these. Um, earn cash to spend in the baby boutique, mm-hmm. um, which is like everything that you would need for a baby. We have it there. Um, And, you know, we can be here to support you um, and be, yeah, your family. Mm -hmm. Um, So she took it all in. She was sitting there. She was like, yeah, okay. Um, She went up and did the pregnancy test and the ultrasound and saw the baby on the monitor and the heartbeat. And um, her daughter was with her. And she was like, is that my my baby brother or baby sister? And we're like, we don't know yet, like, if it's a boy or a girl. But, and she's just like, wow, you know. Um, and the mom took a picture with her and she was still kind of unsure, but, um, we have baby blankets that people from different churches make. And, um, the daughter took a blanket and she took one for her new sibling too. And, um, by the end of the appointment, after they left, we just all gathered around. We're like, okay, Lord, you know, she's in your hands, whatever, you know, we, we did what we knew to do and we like spoke what we felt like you wanted us to speak. And so she's, she's yours. Um, so a couple months went by, we didn't hear anything. We knew, um, that she had not made, she had not gone to her appointment at Planned Parenthood, but that's all we knew. Um, and then earlier in the year she called and said, Hey, um, is it still, is it okay if I come and take some classes? I, I think I need some things for the baby. And we're like, oh, you're pregnant? Oh, yay, you know. Um, so she came and um, she took a few classes. She was having some car issues. Um, we had a few, you know, we have some ministries and businesses that, you know, support us financially. So we had an auto shop that said, oh, we'll help her. We'll, you know, do the labor and parts, get her get her car working. And it was all donated, which was a huge blessing. Mm-hmm. Um, just the connections in the community, huge. Mm-hmm. Um and she had her beautiful baby girl in February, and they're doing well. And it's just, yeah, it's, it's what that's like one of the just one story of so many um, that just so exciting to see like the Lord working. She sent us pictures, and she's just like here, here she is, you know. And um, yeah, her daughter, and she has a son too. Um, just in love with the little, the little, the new little sibling. And so, so, so she came in, she came in feeling overwhelmed mm-hmm. and there's a, a piece of that was the pregnancy that she didn't think she wanted to carry out. But there was also, as, as I hear you talking, there was also the complexity of, of her money situation, her job situation, her support situation. Mm-hmm. And you guys at Cornerstone were able to help her address those things, mm-hmm. take away some of the overwhelmedness and she chose life. Yeah, right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And, and so you, you talk about marketing mm-hmm. and part of me goes, ah, marketing, uh, that, like, <laughs> business. But, you know, I was like, oh, that, that sounds, I, I don't, I apologize if any of you are marketers, but marketing doesn't sound real, woo, you know, to me. But yet people who are feeling overwhelmed, who are in that spot need to know that you're there because most people don't have anyone. Right. And so you get to be that person to kind of walk alongside them. Am, yeah, am I hearing you right? right? Yeah, exactly. And that's the whole um, vision of empowering. You know, empowering isn't just like, okay, yeah, you're pregnant. 
great, you know, congratulations, see you later, you know, but it's a whole, truly that walking alongside of um, what the Lord has called us to, you know, discipleship, you know, is really, um, you know, you can disciple people who are believers and unbelievers too. Mm -hmm. And um, unbelievers are going to look a little different, you know, just depending on the stage of life that you're in and everything like that. But that empowerment is just coming alongside, supporting, encouraging, um, so that they can embrace a different lifestyle than they um, had originally thought was all that was possible. Yeah. So. So as we come alongside you, um, you know, we will be praying for you guys this month, and and we're supporting you with some finance as well. As we come alongside you, what's the last thing that we kind of need to hear that we need to know from from you guys at Cornerstone? Well, first, thank you. Thank you so much for supporting us. It's um, such an encouragement and a blessing to see the body of Christ helping out in this way. Um, and also, yeah, please just keep us in your prayers. Mm-hmm. Um, as I said before, we're seeing a much more um, through the marketing, new marketing strategy, um, our client base of abortion-minded women has quadrupled since last year. Um, so the, you know, the need for, you know, more training for volunteers and new volunteers and um, just all that stuff is always, you know, is now kind of more on the forefront. Um, We recently in January moved our baby boutique, which was in our basement, to the carriage house that's right beside us. And, um, which has been great because then the women going in can just, you know, go down a few steps and they're there at the carriage house and it's beautiful. Um, But it has increased our rent by $700 a month. So we are looking for boutique sponsors. Um, So if that's something also that either, you know, someone you know or you um, have on your heart to be a sponsor, a $70 a month sponsor or a $35 a month sponsor, whatever type of sponsor, Mm -hmm. um, we're looking for that too. So yeah, those are just a few things to keep in prayer in mind. Well, thank you, Olivia. Thank you for being here. And and, uh, if anybody wants to kind of ask you questions or talk to you after the service, you'll probably be in the lobby for a minute. Yep, we'll be here. Mm -hmm. Can we pray for you before before we move on with our service? Yeah, for sure. Church, can we pray? Lord, I praise you for the work that Cornerstone has been able to do with people who are feeling overwhelmed and not sure. Lord, I thank you for the way that you've been working in hearts um, to inspire volunteers to go help, um, to inspire marketing experts to get the word out. Lord, I praise you for all that's being done so far. Lord, we know there are a lot of people in our world who are considering abortions and who feel like that's the only way to go. I pray that you would help them to learn about Cornerstone, to get the Cornerstone, to find someone who can help them and to change their mind. Lord, this is our prayer, and I pray that you'll bless Olivia and, and everyone who's there as they do their work. Help, it, help them to do it well, and I pray that through all of this care that people would see love and be drawn closer to you. So thank you, God, and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Olivia, thank you. Thank you. All right. And so, as I said, Olivia um, will be uh, available to speak to you in the lobby if you'd like to sponsor that carriage house rent, all of it or a portion of it. I'm sure she'd be glad to take your name, get your number, and write down your credit card information. You're allowed to chuckle at that. You're allowed to chuckle. Um, We had been studying the Gospel of Mark for the first part of this year, but here the last couple of weeks, we've taken a break to kind of shift and just talk about what is the church. And a few weeks ago, Marlon Nafsager preached about the church, the beautiful bride, because in scripture, the beautiful bride of Christ is one of those descriptions that is given of the church, because the church is not just a building. We might say, hey, we're going to church today, or we're here at Waterway Church. We may talk about it like it's a place, Um, But really, as Scripture talks about it, church is a gathering of people. It is the gathered body of Christ. And so one of the things that we celebrate a lot and that we would love to celebrate more is the kind of thing I talked about with the kids this morning, people giving their lives to Jesus Christ. We know that, that God is inviting all people to come to him, right? We know that we know that people are invited. Jesus said in Revelation 3.20, he said, here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person, they with me. He basically says, I'm knocking at the doors of all people, of their hearts. In 1 Timothy 2.4, it says that God, our Savior, wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. God is inviting 
all people toward him. And so all of us have a choice to make. Are we going to respond to that choice? And are we going to receive the Lord in our lives? And we praise God for those two kids this week who did. So what does this mean, this whole salvation thing mean? How do we connect this to what we're doing right now and to our continuing identity moving forward? Well, it means that these kids, they said they were thinking about Jesus and they just couldn't stop thinking about Jesus. And their parents asked them a few questions. Questions like, do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? Have you asked Jesus to forgive you of your sins? Are you going to follow Jesus with the rest of your life? There could be 500 more questions that these kids are going to be asked over the course of their lives that will be completely appropriate. But a couple of the basics, these kids were asked by their parents, and the kids said, yes, this is what I believe. Yes, I have repented of my sins. Yes, I want to follow Jesus with my life. And so we get excited because it says in Romans 10 that if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. It is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. As scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. See, all of us, all of humanity, for all of time, except for Jesus, all of us have turned away from God. The Bible calls that sin. And all who commit sin deserve not only a miserable life here, but deserve to go to hell when we die. This is the kind of the very basic problem of humanity. All of us deserve not heaven. All of us deserve hell. And hell is a wicked, terrible, ugly place to spend eternity, but it doesn't have to be that way because what does it say in 1 Timothy 2? God desires for all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. The, 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 the sticky part of that whole equation is that even though God wants it, God doesn't demand that every person do that. God gives people, he created us with choice. God created us with the ability to receive or reject him. And so when someone receives him, that's when we say at that moment they are saved. And we could get into all kinds of theological fine points. And there are Christian brothers and sisters who would argue about exactly the details of how do we choose and how much choice do we have and how much does God initiate? I know, I know. But when it comes down to it, the scripture is clear over and over that we as humans have choices to make. And these two young ones this week have started their journey with God. They've chosen, however and for whatever reason, they've chosen to follow after God. And the faith that they have professed, if it is real, will be a changing factor in their lives. Their faith affects the way they will live as it should for all of us. In the book of James, and Olivia, you touched on this very nicely up here. In the book of James, it says, uh, James is writing to the church. He says, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? In other words, he's saying that, that, that faith results in good things happening. Faith results in good behavior. Our good behavior doesn't earn us favor with God, but faith without good behavior has to be questioned because is it really faith at all? If you believe something, it affects the way that you act. This is what James is saying. He says, suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it's not accompanied by action, is dead. Thank you, Cornerstone, for, for putting deeds around your faith. Some of us are tempted sometimes to say, well, it's very important that we minister to those who are, who are trying to choose life. It's very important for us, to, for us to try to stamp out abortion in our world. It's very important for us to, to make sure that these children are, are born and can live a life that, that has an opportunity to honor God. But sometimes all we say is, God bless you. And what's being said here in James 2 is to say, no, that's, that's not enough. If you have real faith, you're going to do something about it. Now, some of us may not be able to do more than pray. Some of us may not be able to do more than, frankly, write a check. Those things are important. Those things are great. Those things are needed. But you can see how our faith should drive us forward to do something if it matters to us. The faith that these little ones have professed this week is the faith that so many of us in this room have confessed. This faith is the foundation of what it means to be the church. The church, as we've talked about, is the collected bride of Christ, the body of Christ. It's a collection of believers who do life together. And believing in Jesus and being saved is the activating factor in our reality. 
In other words, if you don't have faith in Christ, you're probably not a Christian. In fact, the scripture says you are not a Christian because faith is absolutely essential to be saved by the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you're not a Christian, you are not the church. You might be sitting in a building that you call the church. But one of the amazing things about all of this is that God continuously invites those who are not saved. He says, come to me. Jesus says, I'm at the, I'm at the door of your heart and I'm knocking. Just answer me. And if you're not part of a church body yet, and, and, and if you're kind of figuring that out, the invitation can usually be there. Come to Jesus and be the church. And some of you have expressed faith in your lives, but frankly, it's been close to dead. There are some of us who have expressed faith and not done much about it. It's just something that we've said, and, and maybe that affects where we sit on a Sunday morning or the songs that we sing when we sit there. But some of us have a faith that is gasping for air. It's one of those that is not accompanied by many deeds. Well, the invitation by God is still there. Live like this is real. And that's all through scripture we see these encouragements to live for Jesus. Give your life to Jesus. Be saved by Jesus. And then live for Jesus. Give your life to Jesus for the rest of your days. So we find ourselves today with one of these instructions about what it means to live for Jesus. One of these classic, if you grew up in a Mennonite or Brethren or Anabaptist household, one of these classic scriptures that is so helpful for us, for those of us who are saved, to, to begin to understand what it means to live for Jesus Christ. This scripture comes from Matthew chapter 18, starting in verse 15. I want to read this this morning and study this a bit because this has been a weak spot for us as a church. This is something that we need to practice better if we are going to put our faith to work. And a lot of this has to do with how we relate to each other. Our relationships inside this room certainly affect our relationships outside of this room. And the relationships we have in this room definitely impact our attitudes as we relate to God. But look here at what Jesus said to his followers. Matthew 18, starting in verse 15. If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. I want to pause here for a moment. We're going to go kind of verse by verse as we go through this passage. If they listen to you, you've won them over. We need to be clear about what that means, to win them over. It doesn't mean that we've won them over to <clears throat> our side necessarily, because some of us have sides that are not entirely God's side. This doesn't mean that you've argued with someone and you've helped them to see your argument. It doesn't mean you've convinced them of one of your preferences. You see how this is all couched. It says, if your brother or sister sins, this is an issue of sin, and Christians can call out sins very clearly. I know there are a lot of people who say, well, doesn't the Bible say, you know, we, we shouldn't judge if the plank in your eye and the, wait, the speck in there, and wait, there's a plank and a speck, right? And don't judge each other. Well, what that means is that we don't judge each other, and I don't look at you and say, Kate, you're going to heaven, but not you, buddy, you're going to hell, and, and you, sister, you're going to hell too, but buddy, you're going to heaven. No, we don't do that. Thank you for sitting in the front row. <laughs> no, we don't do that. The scripture says God alone judges salvation. But over and over and over, the scripture says is that Christians, when they are following after Jesus Christ, filled with the Holy Spirit, absolutely have the perspective to judge sin. Yes, we can say this is good and this is bad. And so that kind of judgment, we must be involved in all the time. Not pronouncing people to be in heaven or in hell, but to say this is good and this is bad. This is holy and that is sin. Absolutely, the Christian and especially the Christian body, which is called the church, has the perspective and the authority and the wisdom to call these things out. This is why Jesus says, if your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault. He's assuming that we can see that there is a sin here. And Jesus says, do this just between the two of you. There are some people who are very quick to say, Ethan, I saw Brandon in church last week and I need to tell you what he did because you know what he was, and, and he was sinning this way and this way and this way. And what Jesus says is, even if Brandon was sinning this way, this way, and this way, and maybe all these other ways, if you see it, you go talk to Brandon first. You don't talk to Ethan, because Ethan is not part of the equation yet, should not be part of the discussion yet. Jesus says, if you see, it's very clear here, isn't it? Right? We're just trying to 
I'm trying to explain it so that we can live out what the Bible says. Jesus says, if your brother or sister sins, go and point out their faith just between the two of you. And if they listen to you, you've won them over. What that means is if then, if Brandon says, oh, Jesse, you're right. You, you know, I, I made him. Then what is that? Well, there's an opportunity for him to repent and for us to pray. This means then that he's been won over, not to my side, but back to oneness with Jesus Christ. You know what I'm talking about here? You see what I'm saying? So Jesus says, look, if your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. Powerful relationships grow out of those conversations. Have you ever had one of those conversations with a brother or sister? Someone that you went to and you approached them carefully and you approached them with prayer and you approached them in love and just said, brother or, or, or sister, I... I see this thing in your life and, and I think you're off track. And that person says, you know what? I think you're right. Have, have you seen relationships go deeper after those kinds of conversations? I have. Not always. Not always because sometimes brothers and sisters don't want to hear it, even if you say it perfectly. But there's something that can really be powerful here if they listen to you and you've won them over. This is one of the ways that as Christians, we show love to each other. And if you're sitting in this room today and you're not sure yet about this Jesus thing, you're not sure yet about this church thing, I, I'm going to guess that one of the problems that you might have, one of the things that you're wondering about is, well, do these people really believe what they're saying? Do they actually love each other? That's one of the things that I often ask if I visit another church, I get to visit some churches sometimes. It's fun, usually to just kind of sit back and watch and see, how do these people get along with each other? Is there joy here? Is there encouragement here? Do these people look like they are celebrating something when they are worshiping? Or do, you can feel it when you walk into a room and people don't like each other, can't you? Makes you want to go right back again. <laughs> no, it doesn't. It makes you say, I'm not having any part of this. The love of Jesus Christ, this is what it looks like? See here, Jesus is saying, if you want to live for me, you're going to talk to each other and deal with this sin problem because sin divides us from the Lord. Sin is what sends us to hell if we have that problem hanging on to us all the time and if we never let our sin be dealt with by the only one who can, Jesus Christ, there is no salvation. So if your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault. And this is how we show love. Sometimes, Christians, we get nervous about this kind of conversation. We're afraid that it's going to sound critical or we're afraid that it's going to sound unloving if we speak to a brother or sister about our concern, our, I'm sorry, our concern of sin in their lives. But I can't think of too many things more unloving than letting an erring brother just continue to be wrapped up in their sin. Jesus says, no, go talk to them so that you can win them over. Not loudly, right? Not loudly and not proudly, and not even at this point publicly. This isn't something we're going to shame somebody about. Jesus simply says, and if you want more background, go home at lunchtime today and read the first 14 chapters of Matthew 18. Jesus gives some pretty good descriptions about how Christians in general ought to be. But if you're worried about this, if, if you're at that spot right now where something's burning inside of you and you're saying, I need to talk to one of my brothers or sisters about this thing that I know that they don't know that I know yet. Here's what you can do. First of all, before you approach them, pray for them. First, pray for them, that their heart can be in a place to hear you. Second, pray for yourself so that you don't stick your foot in your mouth any more than you need to. I spent about 10 minutes driving around yesterday feeling sad and embarrassed and, and guilty about a conversation where I stuck my foot in my mouth 15 years ago. I happened to be driving past a farm where the conversation happened. And for the rest of the way home, I was thinking, oh, I wish I wouldn't have said that thing that I said. And, you know, it's been all patched up as much as it can be, but I stuck my foot in my mouth, and I don't like the taste of my feet. Pray for that person so that they can hear what they need to hear, either from you or from God. Pray for yourself that you don't stick your foot in your mouth and become a hindrance and then once you've prayed, if you need to talk to somebody, I recommend, and this is really good in any kind of a conversation, guys in the front row, if any of you ever get a date, <laughs> they're young, they're young, they're not dating yet. 
But I'm going to give you the best, inf- I'm going to give you the best information. This is, going to, this is going to help you in, in whatever relationships you have. Always start with a question. Ask her questions. Wives, does it help when your husband asks you questions? Does that help you to connect? Does that help you to understand? Always start with a question. If you have a brother or sister that you need to talk to about sin, maybe it's the guys in the back row that I need to talk to about their dates. I don't know. If you have a conversation that you need to have about sin, always start with a question. Be careful about the accusations that you bring. Always start with a question. Make sure that you understand. Hey, brother, we need to talk. Did I see... Because maybe you didn't see it right. I've made mistakes like that. I, I misunderstood the situation. I thought there was a sin, there was a big problem. It wasn't. It was just something that I was just out of context because I wasn't part of that, but I got concerned, right? Start with that question. Did I see, am I right? You know, brother, I think I see this. Am I right? Did I see this right? Did I hear this right? Because maybe there's no sin to deal with and, and then that saves me the rest of the conversation. Sometimes we need to say, brother, I saw this and I heard this what was going on there? Because there can be a lot happening in a conversation that I didn't pick up, that I didn't understand, or that I didn't interpret correctly. Because remember, we're not here to make accusations. Why are we to do all of this stuff? Why are we to have these conversations? So that someone can be won over to come back to be close with God again. We're here to help. We're not here to make accusations. That's one of the things I appreciate, Olivia. I'm, I'm, I hope I'm not embarrassing you going back to what you said, but I appreciate so much what you said, asking the questions and saying, how are you feeling about this? You're not just jumping in. How dare you? Why would you ever think about? That's not helpful, is it? Those kind of accusations, it may be what we feel sometimes. And, and perhaps there's an emotion inside of us that wants to express it that way. But if we're approaching a brother or sister to try to help restore them to the Lord, not that we're perfect, but Jesus gave us a job here. If this is what we're supposed to do, can't we use some tact and ask a few questions first before we dive in? You know what's really annoying? A car mechanic who will not ask you a question. I went to a mechanic far away from here one time. Actually, it's at a dealership because our car is still under warranty, one of them. Never had a car under warranty before. Don't care for it. I like the, I like the, the, the piece that it brings me. That, well, if this or that breaks, I don't have to pay for it. I don't like having to deal with the guy at the dealership because according to him, I'm an idiot. Now, I may be, but I know what something sounds like. And I know enough about my vehicle to know when it happens. And I know that it's not just a fan belt. But does he ask me any questions, really? No, he knows what's going on. Ooh, that's a tough one. I'm not, uh, I'm going to be going back to that dealership again, but not talking to that guy again. Because he knows it all. And he's going to tell me how things need to be without any understanding of really what I've seen, what I've been through, and what the problem seems to be. Right? You get it here. Jesus says, talk to your brother or sister. And I'm just giving you one more layer of advice that says pray first for them and for you. And make sure that you ask a question or some questions so that you know what you're talking about. Jesus acknowledges though that there are some people who will not respond well. There are some people who may not receive this word from you. This is why there is more than one verse of Scripture. Verse 16, Jesus goes on. He says, but if that person will not listen, take one or two others along. It doesn't say take seven. It doesn't say take 15. But if they won't listen to you on your own, take one or two others along the next time, right? I've seen people get into this situation and they've, they've kind of skipped over step one right to step two. Instead of me talking to Delmar right away, it's me and my three buddies who I know will back me up because I'm kind of nervous and I don't know and I don't really want to. And Delmar's kind of, and and Delmar, we all kind of think that we see a problem and there's no we in any of it. It's just me and these people who don't know what they're doing with me. But I asked them to come along and so they did. Some people skip over this first one. No, no, no. Jesus says, first, talk to them one-on-one privately. If that doesn't work, next time, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. This is not the kind of thing that's supposed to lead us into these arguments of what he said and then he said and, then, and nobody really knows what anyone said. No, no, take one or two others along at that point. 
so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. And then Jesus, because he knows people, he says, if they still refuse to listen, verse 17, because some people do. Some people are still stuck in their sin. They're stuck in their perspective. They're stuck with their own stubbornness. And how are you going to tell me? If they still refuse to listen, then tell it to the church. You see, there's a progression here, right? One-on-one, and then a couple of you talk about it and say, brother, we're just, we see a problem. We're trying to get this right because this is important that we live for Jesus. If they still refuse to listen, then tell it to the whole church. And if the whole church speaks to this person and they still refuse to listen yet, then treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. What does that mean? Well, how do we treat pagans or tax collectors? It means that for a time, until they repent to God of their sin, they don't get to participate in all the blessings of the church being together. Shared fellowship, mutual support, work and witness activities together. Jesus says, if they refuse to listen to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. It doesn't mean that you are sending them to hell with your words, thoughts, or actions. No, no, no. That's not what we do with pagans or tax collectors, is it? With pagans and tax collectors, how does Jesus speak to them? He says... Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if you'll let me in, Jesus says, I will restore you and I will have fellowship with you. This whole thing of of treating them like a pagan or tax collector, this is not punishment. This is getting someone's attention so that hopefully they will come to their senses, repent of their sin and be brought back into full fellowship. This is not a shun that says forever you are gone. This is getting someone's attention and saying it is so important That as a church, together, we practice holiness. That we haven't gotten your attention yet. And so until you repent, we will be apart. Okay? All can come to Jesus to be saved. You don't have to have your stuff together to attend a worship service here on Sunday morning. But once you commit, remember, this is a brother speaking to a brother, a sister speaking to a sister. Once you commit to being part of the church here at Waterway, we often call this membership, Once you commit to that, you are held to a higher standard. We who are saying, I'm a Christian, I'm part of the church. Yes, then there is a higher standard. There is no stagnation allowed. There's no, well, that's just the way he is. We're going to let him keep doing that thing that he's been doing for too long. No, we address it and we talk about it. And if he will not hear it from the church, then we say, brother, don't come back until you are ready to get right with Jesus Christ because you're going to infect this whole thing. We have the authority as a church to call out and proclaim God's definitions to judge behavior and all that. This is why we have explorers classes, exploring membership classes, so that people understand that being part of the church is not like being part of some social club or some team. It's about living out our Christian faith together, and everything we do should revolve around that. See, our mission here at Waterway Church is to help everyone we know become more like Jesus. Did you know that? to help everyone we know become more like Jesus. That starts with us who are here already. We can't very well help people to become more like Jesus if we ourselves are not becoming more like Jesus. So no matter the starting point, all of us are trying to become more like Jesus. And Jesus says, if you've got a sin issue, address it humbly, carefully, and in a particular way, one-on-one. A few people speaking to that one. And then the whole church talking to that one. Jesus gives us instruction here. You know, one of the challenges about being together as the church is that it's not just us anymore. When I'm by myself, I'm happy with all the people that are present, right? It's easy to get along with me. And when I'm with one or two people who are in my family, we love each other and we've chosen each other. We understand each other and it's easy to get along with each other. But sometimes when we all get together, especially as our group grows, it can be challenging. Because when we come together, then a culture is built, right? Sociologists would say that, you know, we are not only part of a culture, but we are building a culture when we come together. And we have a culture at Waterway and and we pulled it with us from Media Road two years ago. We have a culture that does great when we talk. Just a couple things, a couple celebrations. I mean, we had two young ones this week who gave their lives to Christ. Praise God. We will be following up with them and their families to make sure that 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 really sinks in. But I just think about the last eight, nine, ten days. Last Saturday, eight days ago, 
We had a tool auction that raised over $20,000 for our building project because people worked together, prepared together. I was blown away. The auction was on Saturday. On Friday at setup, there had been a call for volunteers to go and help set things up. And so I went out around lunchtime on Friday and there were 25 or 30 people just from this group here just helping in the middle of the day on a Friday because it had been communicated that there was a need and people said, yeah, I can buy into that. And then we all worked together Amazing things were happening. And then do you remember last Sunday, we took a special offering. Now every Sunday we've got our offering box in the back and and after the service or before or whenever, you can put your tithes and your offerings in that box. But we took a special offering last week to benefit people in Ukraine who are being displaced and who are being absolutely destroyed by war. And we collected about $15,000 because we communicated about it for a couple weeks ahead of time. We said, we're going to have this offering. This is what it's going to look like. We didn't all understand it all perfectly, but, but we knew that this was happening. And so amazing things happened. God worked through us and gave us the ability to be a blessing. And then on Wednesday night, this is the one that kind of burns into my mind the most. On Wednesday night here in this room, every quarter, at least every quarter, we have what we call a congregational business meeting. And that's where all the people of the church are invited to come together on a Wednesday night. Typically, whenever there's a fifth Wednesday in a month, we do that. But we gathered on Wednesday night to talk about, we've got this project that's been talked about since we moved here. We talked about whether to move forward with building out our upstairs. Over the fellowship hall, there's 3,000 square feet. Right now, it's just a concrete pad on a second floor. But there's been some thought over the last two years as we've gotten back into this building, as we see how many kids we have, and as we see all the different programs we've got going on, that, that it'd be helpful to build out that, that space and have some more larger rooms to meet in. But there were competing priorities that affected our business. In early 2021, we had a business meeting here. So this is over a year ago. Because we have two things that we were thinking about. There was this thought about rooms upstairs that could be helpful, but there's also this desire to pay down early on our mortgage so that we don't have to pay any more interest than necessary. I would say, from my perspective, that a year ago, we were kind of bogged down between those two priorities because all of us, when it comes to money, have slightly different perspectives. You don't run your house the same way I run mine, right? And so it was a little bit difficult to talk about, and, and I was very curious as a, as a leader to see, how's this going to work out? It took a lot of prep. It took over a year of people praying together, getting information, learning, talking together, meetings, letters to the congregation. Here's what the leadership team is thinking. The leadership team listening to the congregation, special committees and prayers. After a year of thinking about this and these, these dueling priorities and how do we do, how do we spend our money? How do we invest our time? What do we need to be the church? Wednesday night, we voted. We ended up with a 98% in favor. 98%. And there was one person who voted no, and that's fine. We all have different perspectives, right? But, but I saw us go from a place where, boy, who knows what's going to go. But because we talked about it and prayed about it, we arrived at a spot where, okay, it feels very clear now that this is the way that we're going to go. And I've seen that happen over and over in my 19 years at Media Mennonite Church and now here at Waterway Church. We get through stuff when we talk, but we really struggle here in this place, here as the church, we really struggle when there is actual conflict, though. See, that upstairs room conversation was marked by a recognition that we didn't all think the same way at the same time. Most of us were pretty careful when we talked in meetings, saying, saying stuff like, here's what I think. I know others may think differently, but here's what I think. And we talked it through. We struggle when we don't talk. Now, I, I understand Matthew 18, Jesus says, if there's an issue of sin, then you talk to your brother and sister. And, and whether you're building an upstairs room or paying down debt, neither of those is an issue of sin. But you see, there's a pattern given out here by Jesus that says, as believers, as the church, we ought to be talking with each other. And there are times when we haven't. The time through the hardest months and first year of COVID is one of those times we never had a big gathering as a church to talk about what are we going to do? How are we going to process this? I'll be honest with you. I didn't want to have one of those conversations. I was afraid that we couldn't. I'm sorry. I feel like I was short-sighted in, in hindsight. But as I talked about it with the elders, as we talked about it with leadership team, 
there were a lot of us who were concerned that we didn't know if we could talk about it without us, frankly, just getting really angry at each other the way we had seen some other groups respond. As elders gathered to think through things, we kept thinking that it'd all be over pretty soon. A couple more weeks and we'll kind of be through this. Do you remember that two years ago? Many of the conversations that we did run into were marked by anger and frustration, not only just by the people that were talking, but by some of us who were listening. Marked by anger and frustration and, and, and statements like this. And I've thought the same thing to myself. But statements like this, that says, I don't know how a Christian could think that way. And I heard those kind of statements from people with all kinds of perspectives. This Christian didn't know how that Christian could think that way, but that Christian had no idea how that Christian could think that way. And that's a sign that we need to talk to each other, right? I mean, if there's any greater flag that you can wave that say, you should talk about this, it's when we say, well, I don't understand how another Christian could even begin to think that way. Well, that's why we need to talk about things, right? If I don't understand why Melanie is saying something, we should probably sit down and have a conversation instead of me just saying, well, I'm not going to talk about it. <laughs> you can laugh about that one, but it's hard when we talk about things that are real, isn't it? If you don't understand how a person can think differently than you, you ought to talk. But all that COVID stuff was really hard. If I had it to do over again, I would, I would push to get us all together somehow to talk things through. But we didn't. We didn't know how. Some of us didn't think that we should. That's one of the challenges with talking through our issues especially with his things as, as big as sin, the way Jesus talks about in Matthew 18. It, it is hard sometimes, and, and I see it here, Media Mennonite Church at Waterway Church, for those who've been around for a little while, I see that. It, it's hard for us to talk about things when we know that there's an honest, deep disagreement because fear creeps in, and, and, and the way that we process at Waterway Church, the way that we process our disagreements is to talk about it, to pray about it together, and then eventually God shows us the way through together, but... In that, in that whole COVID piece, we didn't do that well. So I'm going to wrap up with a couple thoughts along the lines of how do we talk about the things that bother us? Yes, this applies to what Jesus is talking about in Matthew 18 with sin, but I think this can apply to pretty much all of our conversations, even if it's not a sin issue, but it's just a this bugs me issue. How do we talk about it? How do we talk to a brother or sister? Number one, as I said, open with questions. When we open with guns blazing, it shuts the discussion down right away. There is awkwardness in a business meeting when we have to wait and see what everyone else is thinking. How's this going to go? But we can deal with that, right? What's hard is when someone opens up with a powerful statement. How could anyone think? Whew, we've taken each other out of the knees. Open with questions. Make sure that we understand each other. And then we talk to people directly. Talk to people directly. If you've been part of Waterway Church for a while, I want you to write this in the margin of your Bible or, or take a pen and write it on the side of your hand and put it somewhere that you're going to remember because you often forget it. Talk to people directly. A number of weeks ago, um, I was having a conversation with one of our elders, and that elder said, you know, I had two different people ask me today. This was on a Sunday. I had two different people ask me today, what's up with that person? That that person that, you know, I hadn't seen for a while, or, or maybe I didn't notice them, but what's up with them? And, and I kind of chuckled, and I said, you know what you tell people when they ask you that question? You tell them to call that person directly. If, um, if you've been moved to become a member of Waterway Church, and you wonder something about another member, it's your responsibility to call them. It's not just my suggestion that you call them. It's your responsibility to reach out to them and call them. Jesus said, if you've got an issue as big as sin, you need to talk to each other directly about that. But what I see happen a lot, and, and I could be guilty of this too, is that we'd rather hear about somebody instead of talk to somebody. It, it's a little, it, it feels safer. It feels more comfortable. But if you know someone well enough to wonder about them and ask an elder about them, you know them well enough to ask what their deal is. And remember, start with questions. Hey, how's it going? I've noticed this. Is this, is this right? How are you? I know, we're in a big room, and we used to have two services for a while. We don't want to be embarrassed, because maybe they've been here the whole time, and I just didn't see them. I know, well, we love each other. We'll laugh about it. 
and move on. But if you know someone well enough to wonder about them and ask a pastor or an elder, you know them well enough to ask them directly what's going on. And if you don't know someone well enough to ask them their situation directly, you don't have any business getting in the loop by asking for gossip because you're not helping. Go to people directly. Go to each other directly. This is uncomfortable for me too. I'm loud. I like to think that I'm confident. And I have the position of pastor that kind of props me up and helps. Well, of course I can ask Kate. I'm the pastor. This is hard stuff. This is why Jesus says, do it. He didn't just kind of hint around about it. He gave us very specific instructions so that we wouldn't wiggle out of it. And our final point, I know I'm going long. I apologize to the people who are in Waterway 2-5 Children's Church. They're doing a great job. Instrumentalists, why don't you come up here? We're getting ready to sing in just a moment. Here's a challenge as we move forward. And whether you've been here for a long time, I'm serious, band, come on up. Whether you've been here for a while or, or whether you're kind of new, this group is changing. Every week it's changing. I see people in here today I've never seen here before. Praise God, that's amazing and it's awesome. What it means is that our culture shifts though from time to time as new people come and have to kind of learn, okay, what is the vibe of this group? And frankly, as our whole group is, is affected by the vibe of new people who come, right? This is good because I don't care how far back you go in time, that group didn't have the market cornered on doing things the right way either. That group needed to grow. And why does God bring new people to churches? So that that church can grow in a way that they haven't been growing so far. But oh, that's uncomfortable for some who have been here for a while and really know how things work because it might be different. (laughs) Yeah, it might be. In some ways it should be. Church, we're all working together to create a culture to become more like Jesus. All of us becoming more like Jesus, no matter the starting point, whether it's the elementary school kid who this week said, I'm in, or whether it's one of us who's been here for 50 years and says, I've been in for a long time. All of us still have growth to do. Our salvation is the core issue of all that. That's what leads to unity. But what Jesus says is your salvation is not the only thing that matters. Once you are saved, then there are ways that Jesus expects us to live. And one of those things we're to do is to talk about it if there's an issue of sin. And I'm going to add to that and suggest that we need to talk about it not only when there's an issue of sin, but also when there's all these other issues that can be difficult for a large group of people to work through together. So that's the challenge today. Can you live out your faith in such a way that your relationships with each other are strengthened and that if there is an erring brother or sister in our midst, that they can be brought back to the faith, repenting of that error, and that we can move forward in love, becoming more like Jesus. That's the challenge. That's the challenge. All right, with that all stirred up inside of you, I'm going to ask you to stand and sing. And after this song is over, I'm going to ask you the question, if there are any of you who are at a spot where you need to confess Jesus Christ as your Lord for the first time, I'm going to ask you about that. But I'm going to invite you to sing this song with us first as we let the Holy Spirit come in and convict just a little bit more. Build your kingdom here. (laughs) 